Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's episode, I need to tell you about our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. These guys are not only great coffee connoisseurs and entrepreneurs, they're also libertarians. They're also listeners of this show. They are also Patreon supporters of this show. So they are the kind of person that you want to support. So if you are a coffee drinker, please do head over to laurenzotti.coffee. That's laurenzotti.coffee, not .com. Use discount code LIONS at checkout for 10% off your order. And what's great about these guys, they don't just sell coffee. They also help people set up their own coffee shops. They have financing. Uh, They can rent equipment. They do so much to not only provide coffee for people, but also to help set up other people as entrepreneurs in that same space. What an awesome concept. So please do head over to Lauren Zotti, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I, laurenzotti.coffee. And don't forget to use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. All right, Kitty Cats, with me today is a guy you're likely familiar with. He is the host of Wealth, Power, and Influence, and he lives right here in Los Angeles. He is the one and only Jason Stapleton. Jason, are you ready to roar? Yes, I am. How did I know? How did I know you would be? Well, I'm always ready. It's always funny when I interview someone. There's not really that many people that it applies to, but really just you and Michael Bolden when I interview someone over Zoom that I actually know and see in real life from time to time. So <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that we're hanging out over drinks in one of those, uh, one of the three or four maybe establishments in LA that we're actually allowed to do that right now. Right on. And uh, you know, Jason, I brought you on today because we're going to talk about a book that you've been writing called Nomadic Wealth. And one of my big goals with the show this year is to not only help people to understand the philosophy of liberty, that's always been the primary focus of the show, but I also want to find ways to help listeners empower themselves more, to have more liberty and freedom in their own lives, and to set that example for others. And that's something that's really been a big focus for you since changing the direction of your show a couple of years ago. Uh, You went from a podcast more specifically dedicated to filtering current events through the ideas of liberty and really focusing on principles and that sort of thing. But a couple of years ago, you did shift that focus more towards helping people achieve, well, you know, wealth, power, influence, all the things that the title implies. So I just want to go first and look back a little bit on those last couple of years and how that, what was the impetus? behind the direction change and how have you have found it has changed uh you know the reaction from your audience and, and the kind of people you're attracting to your show yeah it's a good uh, thanks for having me on by the way um and, and it is it was good to see you the other day uh we went and had beers the other day and uh yeah it's nice to get out and have some sense of normalcy but the uh it's allowed you just have to wear your mask three feet until you walk to a table yeah and, i know it's ridiculous it's so stupid but uh um, you know, the, the book, the nomadic wealth book that I'm, that I just finished, it's in, it's in the final stages of edit now, but it's really the culmination of a, of a, of a philosophy that I think I've been trying to put together for a while. Uh, as you said, when I first started the show in 2014, I, um, I believed in these principles enough and I had seen them work in the market. Uh, I've seen way central banks had worked. I, I worked as a, I was a currency trader. I owned a company that taught people how to trade. I spent all day, every day in the financial markets and more specifically studying the results of, of many countries' decisions and their, and the, more specifically their central banking decisions. And so I really truly believed that and not just from a moral and ethical standpoint, but this idea that we shouldn't hurt people and we shouldn't take their stuff was 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 the correct way to think. And so I started the podcast just to share my ideas and to try and find as many people as possible as we could to 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 rally around these concepts. And I talked a lot about winning converts, not uh, not winning arguments. And as several years into the show, the show got really big and it was it was going well. But I noticed that the the people that I had around me, whenever I would talk about, see, for me, a big part of liberty and a bit libertarianism is this concept of of self sufficiency, and and for me, that incorporates um, not just having a good job that you go to work, and it doesn't involve just the politics of it, but also we control our own income. And I found that the easiest way for me to control my income and how much money I could make and to really maximize my own freedom was to own my own company. And so I would talk about it from time to time on the show. And I realized I would, I constantly got blowback. The more I talked about it, the more people complained that I was talking about this rather than talking about politics and about the principles of economics and Austrian theory and and whatnot. And so 
I, 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 at that point, I realized I had a problem that I had, I had recruited, I'd found a bunch of people who claimed that they cared about liberty, but really what they wanted to do was complain about politics and government. And they wanted to sound smarter and pretend to be smarter than everybody else in the room. Not everybody, but a, a big chunk of my audience. And I said, I, I've screwed Libertarians up. want to sound smart. Come well, on. you know, you know I've what never I'm saying, right? <laughs> um, we, you know, we run everybody listening to this knows exactly what I mean by that. Especially um, in those early years when you're yeah. just starting to kind of learn about the ideas and you're starting to see them play out in real life. And you start to get to a point where you almost can't believe other people aren't seeing things your yes. way. Yeah. And you just feel this need. I mean, I definitely went through this phase when I first started getting into the Ron Paul campaign around 2008. Like I had to convince everybody and I couldn't handle it if someone couldn't see things the way I did. Yeah, exactly. 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 And so the the Libertarian Party and and really libertarian um, uh, libertarians in general have an have an issue with that, I think, overall. And I I would include myself in that uh, early on. I had had a deep desire to try and convince people that their way of thinking was wrong and mine was right. Um, But I realized at that point that I had to I had to do something different, that I had attracted the wrong audience or at least part of my audience was wrong. And I didn't want people who just wanted to sit around in an echo chamber and complain about government and wait for the entire system to implode and for the dollar to be dissolved and be shown to be the fiat currency that it is. Right. I didn't want that. I wanted people who were empowered, who were who would sit behind and listen to what I had to say and want to take action and look for a roadmap for that. And so I made the decision that we were going to radically change the direction of the show. We, I, people who listen to the show now, who've listened the whole time, or if you were to come back to it and listen again, you would notice that the principles that I talk about haven't changed a bit. You know, it's still very much how do we create liberty, freedom in our own lives. It's just for me, one of the things that I have found that is missing from the equation of freedom and liberty in our world is wealth. And um, without it, freedom cannot exist. It's one of the things that I I spend a lot of time talking about in the book is that you cannot have freedom without wealth. It doesn't matter how benevolent the government, it doesn't matter the organizational structure. Without wealth, you're really going to be hamstrung in terms of how free you truly are. And so I started preaching this message of this concept of controlling the source of your income. And I've been doing that for about three years now. And um, I... The nice thing is, is that it has, it is the people that we have listening to the show now, the people that I have around me are, are all on board with this concept of, of, of really taking charge and apply. We're really talking about applied libertarianism more than anything else is how do I take conceptually what I understand to be true about the way we should interact as a society and, and what personal responsibility means and how do I how do I act upon that? And so that's really what I talk about on the show. And, and the book is that entire philosophy of how do we achieve freedom and liberty in our own lives um, in the most, in the quickest and most effective way possible. One thing I want to address here is the difference between wealth and actually, and just having income, because a lot of people might have a job with a great income and maybe they're living somewhere where they're spending a lot of that income to live. But if they just rely on that job as their income and they might feel wealthy month to month, they might feel like they have wealth in their day-to-day lives. The fact of the matter is if, if that wealth, if that income is all coming from a job, it's all coming from somebody else, they can lose that overnight. And a lot of people found that out the hard way this year, uh, whether people were laid off due to coronavirus and the lockdowns, uh, whether people were put on furlough. I think a lot of people realize, even if they might have really known it in the back of their head, they're seeing it in real life now, how disposable you are. Are if you're simply just a cog in someone else's machine. Oh, without a doubt, I'm really glad that you that you made that point because that's a critical p- distinction to make. There's a huge difference between having a high income and having wealth. Uh, so w- there are lots of ways that we can define wealth. Um, I I've always defined it. I, I I value time above all else, and and so when I look at what is wealth, wealth is how long you could go without a job or any income. Um, before you had to change your lifestyle. That's an easy way to think about it. So if I lost whatever my income source is now, however long I could live before I had to begin changing my lifestyle, that's how much wealth I have. So you could think about wealth being measured in time rather than in dollars. But, But probably an easier way for your audience to wrap their heads around is just to think, hey, wealth is whatever I have that I didn't spend that if I didn't need to live, that I still have. That's my wealth. And so one of the things I address in the book is, okay, what is required to achieve wealth? Well, we need to spend less than we make 
and save and invest the rest in things that we understand. Those are really, that's the only two things. You don't need to read, read another financial book or, or money management book or anything like that, personal finance book. All you got to do if you want to become wealthy and start building wealth is spend less than you make and then save and invest the rest in things you understand. Now, the question is, how do we build wealth more quickly? Well, we can either like just completely cut off any fun that we do, never eat out, never buy anything new, hand-me-downs. Yeah, you can, you can Dave Ramsey it and just hunger down yeah, and, and spend Yeah, you really can. That's one way to do it. I have always hated that idea. I, and, and there's another side to that coin, which is, okay, I can just increase my income. If I increase my income, I can actually increase my lifestyle while still building wealth. And so then the question becomes, what's the best way to build income and increase income? Well, the quickest way to do that is to control the source of your income, to actually own your own company, your own business, your own brand, whatever it is, because you are now in the driver's seat of what that income, the, the, the ceiling on that income. So um, I focus and always have on, in, on increasing income, not worrying so much about managing spending. Uh, I, I Actually, I, and this is a true statement from the very beginning, I've, I've always said, um, I, I just, I'm not going to scrimp and save to have the, have the things that I want later. I said, I'm just going to figure out a way to make the money I need to have the things I want now and still be able to set aside some wealth for the future. Yeah, I think that's the, one of the bigger mindset shifts that are, we're kind of hammered, it's kind of hammered into us from the time that we're young that, you know, we go to school, we learn, we, we work hard so we can get a good job, or first we got to go into debt and go to college to get that good job, I guess. And, uh, you know, we work hard at that job. At some point, maybe we go into even more debt to buy a house, and we keep working, keep stuffing that into a 401k, a 401k, a, a IRA, keep putting it all into the stock market, and then eventually, once we are worn to the bone and can barely even move, we'll have all this wealth to sit on. And I think the idea of just working your whole life to have wealth that you didn't even get to enjoy really a life along the way is is just not a way to live. But it's, it, take, it does take a big mindset shift because that pretty much is the way we are, are sort of trained from birth, that, that the fun comes later, that we get to re- relax later, we get to enjoy life later uh, after our bodies have sort of uh, decayed uh, to the point that maybe we're not going to be able to use it as much as we, we, we could have if we were having some of that enjoyment, yeah. enjoying life as we are as we are living it. Oh, without a doubt. And, and it's a lie too, because you can, I mean, if you want, that's the prescription, what you, what you've just relayed is the prescription that we are given for success from a, from the time we understand it, right? Is that go to college, get a good job, uh, work for hard, work your way up the ladder, you know, uh, Im- improve your skills and, and then buy a house, have a couple of kids, go into debt on cars, keep up with the Joneses, you know, don't go on the nice vacation, shop where you can get the coupon ponds, right? All of this stuff in order to sock money away for what? For some mythical point in the future when you're when it's all going to be good and you'll have enough money to finally start enjoying your life. And the fact is that is that is a lie. That entire prescription is a lie. Look at your parents, look at your grandparents, look at the bulk of humanity even here in America. If you look at the average retiree does not have enough to retire on, will never have enough money to retire on. And this has been the prescription that they have been trying to follow since they got out of school. From your grandparents to your parents to you, your children will be, they'll be saying the same mantra to your kids. And if you want to get off that hamster wheel, you've got to start thinking differently. And again, one of the things I talk about in the book uh, is this idea of trading away um trading away opportunity for some security. And so a lot of people are working a nine to five job right now because they they feel like if they left, they would be risking a steady paycheck and a guaranteed income. And if anything, if, if the last six months has taught us anything is that there is no job that is guaranteed. There is no secure and safe income right? Everybody is, is at risk. And the problem with sticking with that nine to five is you have a perceived sense of security that doesn't really exist. It's like going through the TSA line, right? It's all yeah. show. They're not really providing any security, but it looks like they're doing a good job, it's right? Financial security theater. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to explain it. Financial security theater. And so have to use that term. I like that one. Right. And so, <laughs> you are, you really have to start looking and say, I am, I am the least safe. I am the least secure when, when I am reliant upon somebody else to give me a job and provide me an income. 
Uh, and so you've got to get off of that hamster wheel and drop that prescription if you ever want to be in a place, number one, to enjoy, your, to enjoy the money that you're making. Um, and number two, to create wealth that creates, that, that, really, that really is the, is, the, is the bedrock of real freedom and liberty. Hey, kitty cats, I got to take a quick time out now to tell you about one of our listeners, one of our patrons over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. His name is Brad Tracy, and he goes by the pseudonym The Liberty Theorist. You can find his writings over at his blog at medium.com slash at Liberty Theorist, where he discusses all the shady things the government has been up to and why libertarianism and individual rights are the only viable path towards keeping that much power out of the hands of government. He considers himself a Rothbardian, and he's a big fan of criminal justice and prison reform, just like you hear about each and every week on Felony Friday. So next time you're out there browsing the interwebs, when you've got through all your podcasts, I want to encourage you to give a little browse over to the Liberty Theorist. Again, that's medium.com slash at Liberty Theorist. You can also find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Liberty Theorist. Check it out, kids. So what are the first steps that someone should take? Maybe someone who's been working that nine to five their whole life for the last 20 years. They finally listened to this episode specifically of Lions of Liberty. And they said, all right, this Stapleton guy's got a point. I can't just rely uh, on this on the same job for my whole life to build wealth. But I don't know what to do, Jason. I have no idea. What am I skilled at? I can't even think of how to take a first step into creating my own wealth. So where does someone start? Sure. Um, so the very first thing is you got to assess you got to assess what skills you have. And we have to drill down and find some sort of rare and specialized knowledge or skill. Now, you would be, most people, if you, their gut reaction when you say, well, what rare and specialized knowledge or skill do you possess? They'll say nothing, okay? Now, in some cases, that's true. But if you've been on this earth and lived in, especially in America, uh, for, the, for at least 10 or 20 years, uh, if, you're un, if you're over the age of 30, and you haven't been sitting in your parents' basement smoking weed since you were 16, I would guess you probably have some rare or specialized skill that other people would find valuable. Even then, you probably know a lot about weed. So, Oh, yeah. Even then, you probably like, – <laughs> Even that funny, guy probably has some, some skills. It's so funny you say that because I knew a guy for a long time here in Los Angeles who was a DJ. Um, not the successful kind of DJ, the one that you look at and you're kind of like, ah, I hope that guy finally gets his life together at some point. <laughs> And he was finally that his DJ business is trying to be in on the road and not making any money, but he smoked weed like constantly. He was like a chimney. He was always smoking it all day long. And I, to, in my mind, I'm like, dude, that guy needs to get off the weed, get his life together and, and find a skill. Well, when he left the, the DJing business, he went ahead and took a job working at a, a startup like weed grower, like a, a weed manufacturer where they were making cannabis oil. And the dude just is in heaven. Like every day he goes to work and he's working on this stuff and he gets to smoke weed all day and work on different strains and create really great, you know, weed products to sell to people. And I thought, dude, that's a great first step. Here's a guy who loved something, really was passionate about it. And now he's learning the business side of it from somebody who knows. And the next step, of course, would be to actually go and start his own thing. Whether or not he gets there is irrelevant. The point is, the point that you make is valid is that, look, everybody knows something about something. And so you've got to find that rare or specialized skill is first. The second thing, if, if for example, if you can't find anything, okay, let's say you really are pathetic and you don't have any skills that you can sell to anybody else, then you have to go and build your human capital. You have to go gain some knowledge and skill. You've got to invest in yourself. I can't help you. Yeah, you're, you've got to go do that first. The second step is to find a group of people who have a problem based around the thing that you understand. So whatever it is that you're good at. So I had a friend, there's a story in the book. I had a friend of mine who really loved baseball cards, had been collecting them for years. Um, I don't understand it, but he does. And he realized one of the things he would, he, they, some of these cases of cards, like a full case of baseball cards can cost like two, $3,000 in some cases. It's crazy. And, oh no, it's, it's ridiculously expensive, but there are cards in there that have, some of them have $500 value, $1,000 value and up and up. Well, your average Joe working his nine to five job, making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, can't afford three grand to buy a whole case of cards, but he can't afford to afford to buy a packet of cards for like twenty five bucks. 
So what my buddy would do was he would buy a case of cards, he would break out the individual packets, and he would auction off the packets on eBay. And if you were the winning bid of that package of baseball cards, then you could go on that night and my buddy would sit in front of a camera and he would open up the package of cards. He would pull them out one at a time and go through them and show the guy exactly what he got in his packet of cards. And then he would mail that packet to that person. Sometimes you get a great card. Sometimes you get come up empty. It's, it's really a modified form of gambling. Right. Yeah. Here's the amazing thing. When I talked to him about it, he was working at UPS. And he said, uh, he told me what he was doing as a side business. And I'm like, dude, that's, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is the stupidest business I've ever heard. <laughs> and I said, how much are you making doing that right now? He goes, all about 60 grand a year. And I go, just reselling baseball cards. Yeah, just, just reselling packages of baseball cards. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, man. He's like, yeah. And I said, well, how much, how much do you make working at UPS? He's like, about, about 65 grand a year. I said, well, what would happen if you quit the UPS job and you just focus full-time on the card thing? He's like, oh, dude, I probably make 200 grand a year. So what I mean, do you why do? don't you quit the UPS job then? And it was like a light bulb went off his head. He's like, oh, like I never thought of that. I'm not kidding you, Mark. That dude quit UPS like two months later and he's making multiple six figures in now a year just sitting in front of a ca- just sitting in front of a camera opening up baseball cards. Okay. Now that's a guy who had a passion for something that found a problem in his market, which is base- cases of baseball cards are expensive, and he went and found a solution for it. I think that's the uh, that's the key right there that yeah. you mentioned in both these examples is is the passion in both those cases both with the guy with the weed and the guy with the baseball cards it's something they were already passionate about so when you're kind of putting your effort and time into something you're passionate about and you're able to make money on it I mean it's a win 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 now you're enjoying what you're doing while you're creating your own wealth for sure exactly and so you you find some, you figure out what you're passionate about what you know a little something about then you find a problem that exists in the market and you solve the problem. And then all the, the only thing that's, so then, you know, develop a product or a service when I say solve the problem. And then the last thing to do is to find a group of people who would benefit from the product or service you created and then sell it to them. So it's not a, it's not a complicated, it's like a four-step process, you know, that decide what niche or industry you want to be in, find a problem, solve the problem, create, find a group of people who would benefit from the solution and then sell it to them. Now, the devil's in the details, but if you're a guy who's looking around trying to figure out how to do it, that's where to start, is figure out if I could do anything in the world, but I had to do it every day for the rest of my life, what would I want to do? What industry would I want to work in? You know, it doesn't have to be forever, but you ask the question so that you can find out what you really are passionate about and what you really love. I want to focus on the nomadic aspect of this um, because a lot of people can, you know, they might make a business in their garage and just, you know, where they fix cars or what have you, something that's, you know, based in a physical location. But I think especially now, this is already a trend that was occurring, but especially with what's everything that's been going on with coronavirus and so many companies themselves uh, moving to remote work for so many people, this is a trend that's going to be happening regardless. Uh, so it seems like you might as well get on board right now. But why the focus on the nomadic aspect of this? Why is that so important that you can do whatever you're doing? That you can create your own wealth and uh, build your own wealth uh, while being pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's that's really the trick. And so the everything else can create can create wealth in your life and create and can create an opportunity for you to have an unlimited income ceiling, right? But until that wealth is nomadic, you're not truly free. And let me explain what I mean by that. So right now, let's say you own a string of pizza places um, across the Midwest. And you, you're worth, you got a bunch of money um, and you're, you're building a lot of wealth at the same time. Well, let's say that your government all of a sudden decides the pizza is really bad for you like they did with the soda guys. And they say, you know what, we're not going to allow you to sell pizza anymore. We're going to tax you into, into submission. Or maybe they just come in and say, you know, we don't like your business. We're closing it down. What's that guy going to do? Which might have sounded crazier a year ago, but no, I now know, we've right? actually seen it, that happen. Now it's a lot more realistic. People can kind of wrap their head around it. So when you think about this, you're like, okay, well, what should I do? Well, if he's got some wealth, he can leave, but he's going to have to live off of whatever he's saved and invested because the income is gone. Right. And so when I started looking at this, I said, well, in order for you to be, be uh, beholden to no government, to, to no state, to truly be free. I mean, I'm talking about the anarcho-capitalist kind of freedom that ultimately we would all aspire to have. 
In order for that to be true, not only do you have to be generating wealth, but that income that you're generating to, to you're using to create that wealth needs to be nomadic. You need to be able to pick it up and move it wherever you want to go. And so you take my business, for example. I'm in the information business, uh, have been for a number of years. Uh, if something happened here in California, they changed the laws, they wanted to screw us over, they wanted to try and destroy my business, I could be gone in an afternoon. Oh, they're already talking about retroactively uh, increasing taxes. So, yeah, yeah uh, they are doing it. And so when the day comes that I decided is that, that the advantages of being here don't outweigh the downside, I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave. And I'm not restricted to the United States. I can literally go anywhere on earth. And not only does my wealth transfer, but even if they kept my wealth, even if they shut down my bank accounts and tried to screw me over, it, within hours, within a, 24 hours, I can be in a new country and my income is not going to stop because my income is transferable from location to location. And that's the beauty that the internet has given us, that is this, this globally linked society has given us, is it's the ability to transfer income and wealth no matter where you are in the world. And so I outline kind of how this is done and what you need to focus on if you want to achieve nomadic wealth for yourself and for your family. But that's, that's the concept, is that we can't truly be free unless we are no longer beholden to any state or any government. So I'm curious, Jason, when it comes to yourself now, uh, you mentioned you could reach a breaking point here in California or in LA at some point. So uh, how close are you, are you to that? You <laughs> know, has the last year or so changed anything for you? It's a re- that's, that's, I, right now, not much. I mean, in terms of w- when I'm looking at the taxes, my personal income right now does not exceed a million dollars a year, which is really where Newsom is trying to screw everybody. Um, and secondly, what most people don't understand is that right now I have no employees. I have contract people who contract for me, but I don't. I have no employees. That's one of the other things I like about um, the business I'm in is it doesn't require you to have employees. So I all a lot of the regulation and stuff that the state screws you over on here in California, I'm I'm really exempt from. Uh, the bigger thing for me will be when I approach when I get into that million dollar a year in personal income. What am I going to do from there? And I talked about it on my show there are lots of ways to evade that legally evade it and and when the time comes maybe i i i'll leave maybe i'll stay i don't know i i am in california for a couple of reasons number one is that everybody of note comes through los angeles So if you're trying to meet people, if you're trying to make connections, if you're trying to stay up on really everything that's happening, there are two locations that everybody passes through. One of them is New York. The other one is Los Angeles. Uh, And secondly is there is, this is the greatest weather I've, I've ever seen anywhere on earth. And I, I love the lifestyle. I love that kind of like no shoes, no shirt, no problem kind of life where we can go to the beach and I can be in the mountains in two hours. It offers me, I'm also really close to Vegas. I'm really close to Salt Lake City where one of my business partners lives. Um, and I can get down to Mexico and, you know, in, in half a day. It's just, there's, we're, there's we're close so, to everything. Yeah, you really want to do is a couple hours away. Right, exactly. So my point being, there are a lot of really great advantages. I mean, you, you want to take I'm, the tax the tax burden that I bear from being here doesn't completely erase it. But when you talk about travel time, I mean, dude, I go to Vegas four or five times a year for con- conventions, speaking things. It, just the time and the dollar savings there is it adds up. And so, when that no longer makes sense, then I might look at moving. But right now, plus, I mean, you know, I, who know who knows what's going to happen in the future? I'm not doing a very good job of answering your question. Well. You know, that's what that's where we all are. I think in, in so many ways, especially the last year, things have changed so much. Uh, specifically, not just in LA, but in this country, um, just the the vibe I think has gotten so I don't know uneasy that I think a lot of people are are in a place where even if they like where they live, you have to sort of think about things and, and and where they're going. And at some point, everyone has to ask themselves, what is my breaking point? What is the point where I just it's just not worth being in a certain physical place or being confined to a certain physical place anymore? But that's why it makes us all all that more important. This conversation. Yeah. See, I think a lot of people look at it. I mean. I mean, my, uh, I mean, I, uh, I just rent the house that I live in now, mainly, but mainly when we keep looking at buying something and every time I look at it, I'm like, well, once I buy it, then I'm stuck here. Right. I, I just can't like, there's a termination date to the house I'm renting. And, but I mean, to give you an idea, 
I have a, you know, I've a, I've a nice place here, a nice, uh, nice house, nice home, three bedroom, you know, two and a half bathroom house, and in uh, in in Los Angeles, I think we, I think I spend like fifty two hundred bucks a month to to rent this place, and my mortgage payment on my seven thousand square foot home in Kansas that sat on three acres, oh, I don't want to know, was only thirty two hundred dollars a month. It gets to give you an idea. So it's just most people, one of the things that I, it's almost a matter of pride. I don't know if you feel this way, but for me, it's almost a matter of pride. Like most people couldn't live here. Like they couldn't make it work. There's so many people who come here and just can't make it and then they leave. And for part of me, it's just a matter of pride to say, no, 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 I live here and I thrive here. And so that's, that's, that's completely irrational, but that's one of the things I think deep down inside I'm dealing with. Now I've gone through the whole cycle. I mean, I've been here for almost 20 years. And when I first came out, I went through the period of loving it. But then I went through the period of, oh man, can I really make it? It's really expensive here. I don't even have a job yet. And then I went to the, the point of, look at me. I have made it. I'm totally fine here. I'm kicking ass here. And now I'm all the way back around where I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> do I do I need, I don't, I've proved already whatever I need to prove by, by living here and being here. I also do love it for all the same reasons you said, but um, you know. This weird. It's been a weird year, especially uh, you know with with COVID, with the intensity of the lockdowns here in California. And I, but I think it's more than the laws for me. It's I've seen people change. Just the, mm-hmm. the attitude towards people have towards each other. Uh, the whole thing with the mask has become this. And I'm not even that anti-mask. I don't care about putting it on and going to a business or whatever. I think it's silly when I walk three feet with a mask on at, at an outdoor restaurant. But you know whatever, I'll do it. I'm not going to wear one in my house. Right. I'm not going to wear one on a trail. I'm not going to wear one walking my dogs. I'm sorry, that's just stupid. Uh, but it, it's almost become a thing where. Or whatever your opinion on a mask is, is a, a personal attack on whatever someone else's opinion is. It just seems there's been a, a cultural change. I don't know if it's just LA, if it's just no. the country, but the coronavirus thing has just driven everyone insane. It's so funny. I have a lot of really progressive friends here. Uh, and uh, pretty much the only kind you can have. Yeah, you know, it really, unless you're me other or Brian. Than, other than you and Brian, you know, and most of my friends are, are lean, lean heavily progressive. And what I've noticed since we've all been locked up, and especially now that the election cycle is drawing near, is that people who didn't ever used to talk about it or who just expressed like mild interest in it and more mildly opinionated are now not just opinionated, but angrily opinionated. They're, they're, right. they're, they become militant in their belief and in their advocation for their position. And you're right. It has gotten a lot uglier out here in the last six months, but I can't tell what that is. Is it election? Is it the fact that everybody's cooped up at home? But you're definitely right. There has definitely been a change. Uh, Jason, I want to tick back to something we were talking about towards the beginning of the show when we were talking about that shift in focus and really wanting to help empower people because I, I think we both agree, no matter what your principles are, if you're just shouting them from your mom's basement or what have you, you're you're not going to be that effective in changing people's minds. And the best way to do that is to have you know enough stature of your own in whatever way that may be, whether it's as a podcast host, whether it's just by being wealthier and influential in your own circles. Uh, that's the way you're really going to be able to influence people. And uh, I know a couple of years ago, you and I did a podcast along with Tom Woods, Pete Quinones, Dave Smith, uh, when everybody had kind of joined the, the Libertarian Party. Uh, since then, some people have different levels of involvement. I think Tom has been probably the most active uh, out of those names. But I think you probably are the one that made the quickest direction to sort of just shift away from it altogether. Uh, Can you explain why you kind of went from being kind of enthusiastic about getting involved in the Libertarian Party to just shifting away from the political end of things altogether? Well, part of it was I wanted to really show support for everybody who, who was coming on board for that, you know, so I, I had actually I joined the party right after you said you were joining the party. I don't particularly see any I don't see a pro or a con from being, uh, you know, aligned with a a particular political party. So um, libertarian is the way I would typically define myself to somebody who really doesn't know much. For those, your listeners are much more educated on on political, you know, political theory. I'm really an objectivist. That's what I am. Uh, And so the libertarian party fits well for me. And when we were starting to, when everybody was getting on board and I really felt like, oh, this might be something like this might turn into something where you could actually put people in positions of authority and have voting power. I even talked with, uh, with Tom Woods about this. I think when we chatted, I said, you know, we have the largest audiences. We are the people that folks listen to when it comes to, you know, not, not what to think or, but how to think. And so, people are de- are determining and, and figuring out what their positions are they 
they listen to us and what we think. And so I said, we can move some mountains, but it seemed like it, it very quickly after that, I started reassessing and I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm on board. I'm going to, I'm jumping in with you guys. If anybody needs my help with anything, I'm here, but this really doesn't fit the mandate of what I'm trying to do. In fact, in many cases, it runs counter to, because I'm telling people, Politics is not the way to solve these problems. You, you will not gain ground doing it this way. Uh, I submit to you history as my evidence. And so what am I really saying by now applying a lot of time and energy to try and reform a party that's probably not reformable? And in their selection of, of their presidential nominee this year, I think they've proven that. I go back and forth on this stuff because through podcasting, I've met so many people in the Libertarian Party, so many people that are principled, that are enthusiastic, that are great communicators. And then the other part of me sees how much time goes into it from petitioning uh, to the campaigning to everything and everything. And when you add up all that time, sometimes I just think, man, what if that time just went into building wealth? What if that time just went, went into uh, business or what have you? You could be more successful for yourself, but also probably influence more people as well than if we're just spending all our time gathering ballot petitions and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I appreciate appreciate the work of everybody in the Libertarian Party because I know the vast majority of people in there are principled and are really trying to see some change in the world. I just sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, often <laughs> question the effectiveness of not just third party politics, not just Libertarian Party, but of really being involved in the political arena at all. That That is where I hit a wall sometimes and say, we can shout and shout and shout. And what are we going to do? Maybe get a percentage or two of the vote if we just spent two years working really hard. Mm -hmm. What is that really changing? Well, and, and that, that was my big struggle too. And I, I say, uh, what I tell Libertarian is is that you know they they always they feel intellectually superior and in many cases they are they're better educated they're more well informed they you can have uh, r relatively complex conversations with most of them about uh, economics and political theory and uh, but the problem is is that most of the people that you're going to run across haven't had the level of success that they profess libertarianism will bring. And so what you have are a bunch of middle class, lower middle class folks who believe in liberty and the principles that, that we love, but they are not a shining example of what our philosophy would manifest. And so I've always said, dude, if you want people to listen to you, be an example of what your ideas can produce. And so for myself, I, you know, for all of my shortcomings, one of the things that I'm really good at is I can show you what it looks like. Um, I'm an independent person. I've created, I have complete autonomy over my life. I do what I want, when I want, with who I want, where I want, on the terms that I want. And I don't really have to worry about what it costs. Okay. That is total autonomy. I am free. And the book itself, Nomadic Wealth, is really a blueprint for creating total autonomy in your life. And I live the example. I say, if you want, this is what I think is the best way to live, and this is what I think it will create. Oh, and by the way, I'm a living example of the things that I profess. And so that's what I want for everybody. I think the more people who achieve um, nomadic wealth in their own lives or, you know, achieve autonomy in their lives, the more our message will begin to resonate. But you got to get off the couch and you can't stop. You got to stop looking externally for what's broken and why you can't get where you want to go. This is not an external problem. It's an internal one. It's, it's you. You're, you and I are the ones that are broken, not the government. There's no magic pill that's going to fix that or no series of elections that's suddenly going to give you the liberty that you deserve. Uh, you, you have to go and, and earn that yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think that it, it almost seems like the more we fight for liberty, just in the political sense and in the philosophical sense, the more that we are not actually gaining it ourselves in, in so many ways. Uh, I mean, I have been speaking about these ideas for years and years and years, and I, I'm fairly successful. But even I look back and think, hmm, what if I uh, what if I spent, you know, just 10 percent of the time I spent just talking about liberty on some of my other adventures on on the things toward, you know, that that go into my creating my own wealth, that go into building my own businesses. Well, you, you, you um, answer, answer this question for me because this is interesting because you know you and I have been in the business of of spreading this message for years and years and years and you know what can you point to any political change that you've been able to create 
having done your podcast for this many years? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one to answer. I mean, I know that we've we've I've definitely encountered a lot of people that through doing this podcast have have just learned about libertarian ideas through the podcast, uh, have definitely changed their personal perspectives on things through this podcast and through similar podcasts like yours, like Dave Smith, like Tom Woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely see the change in mindset. But if you want to actually point to a, a literal like can I a physical change, like an actual change in a law or something like that, I don't know, and I don't know if there's any way to pinpoint things like that because I think ultimately politics is going to follow the culture. So it's more about a cultural change to me. Yeah, you're right. And, and I don't, and, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful because I couldn't find one and nor could I find. No, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. It's something I ask myself all the time. Like how much are we affecting things? I know I'm affecting individuals, but how much is affecting the way those individuals think really creating the change that I want to see in the world? Yeah. And the question that I asked beyond the political change is I said, what material benefit have I, can I show for the shift in thinking from the people that came to me. So like somebody came to me and all of a sudden they I w- they were transformed. They used to be progressive. I would get emails like this. Oh, I was a progressive and now I'm a libertarian. And I just want to thank you for, you know, speaking the message. And I'm like, okay, um, has your life materially improved because of that? Or, or is this just, the, I mean, it, what do you, what action did you take now that you, you have this new, you've had this new epiphany and, and this new life focus um, that has, that has materially improved your life. And, and for my show, and I can't speak for yours, but for my show, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find those people. And I said, this is wrong. What good is a philosophy if you can't manifest it to, and, and use it to improve your own life? Cause you see libertarianism, this concept is it, I've never viewed it as a as a political philosophy for me. It's a life philosophy. This concept that we don't hurt people and we don't take their stuff, this idea that morality is it doesn't have anything to do with your religion or your faith. It has to do with property rights. You know, these these are these are moral principles that guide all of my decisions, right? It's it's a it's a it's something that I believe is tr- it, it's my truth if for to use a California reference, right? But why don't Speak we your truth, bro? Well, you know what? But, but why don't we kill? Why don't we steal? Why don't we rape? Well, some people would say because it's it's a religious, you know, it's against my religion to do that. No, no, no. It's against property rights. You're violating someone's property rights to do that, right? So my life philosophy is libertarianism. Okay. And I I feel like if you can't take that life philosophy and use it to material improve it to improve your life to live that abundant life that we all want and desire then what good is that for you and so when i looked at my show and what i was doing and the message i was putting out there i realized i'm not having the impact that i want to have and i got to make a change and despite the hell that i went through to make that change and and to be here talking to you now uh, wouldn't it wouldn't change the thing. It was the right decision, and I'm I'm having a massive impact on changing people's lives now, which is ultimately what I wanted to do when I started the show. Did you get a lot of backlash right when you made that change from the fans at that time? I mean, do you think that you converted a lot of your fans to a new new mindset, or do you think you just got new fans like a, a changeover of sorts? Oh no, I lost I lost half of the audience when we left. We were running maybe thirty thousand uh, listeners a day. And that very quickly dropped to about 15 and then finally uh, made, a, made a resting place at around 10. And it was vitriolic because I had a private group that had about uh, just short of 10,000 members in it, 9,000 something members. And I told uh, Amy, who, who works for me, I said, shut it down. We're going to shut that thing down. It's just a cesspool of people, you know, complaining with one another. And when I did that, it, it just, it blew up. There was a whole subset of people who started a campaign against me and uh, were out there vilifying me on the internet and, and uh, all kinds of really terrible things. Um, and, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty awful. I actually had people come to me and say, you shouldn't shut down the group because it's not your group. It's our group. I don't know what kind of socialist garbage they've been, (laughs) they've been pumping, but in their estimation, because they spend so much time there, it was theirs. And I said, no, I started squatters rights too. Yeah. I, I, I grew it. I started it. It's my name on the group. It's mine and I'll do whatever I want to with it. And so, yeah, a lot of hate from that. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I have, I am somewhat, I feel somewhat vindicated today because if you look at most of the major voices like you, like Dave, uh, like, uh, like Tom, almost everybody now is starting to kind of recognize, Hey, 
we got to do more than just complain about politics. Like there has to be, there's to be something else that we can do. And a lot of people, um, I mean, you having me on the show and, and, and talking about the book is, is a great example of how do we actually give people actionable steps to help them change their lives. And Tom's talking a lot about side hustle businesses and stuff. And I, I like that because I think, I think that's where we're going to have the greatest impact is helping people change their lives and then being an example of, of someone worth following and worth listening to. Sure. It's a, it's a two-pronged approach. It's not about abandoning the principles. I'll never abandon the principles. Uh, I, I look at this show in many ways as an introductory show for people to sort of learn about libertarian ideas. So I, I always want that to be a part of it. But one shift I've been making is trying to integrate more conversations about how can people can actually apply these principles in real life and how they can actually bring themselves more freedom. Because that's, that's such an important part of it. And I think in the early stage of the show, I didn't really think about that part. I was just interested in the philosophy, the philosophy, philosophy. And I still am. Uh, but I, there's more to life than just that. Uh, once you got that down. Now you've got to do more than sit around talking about it and just telling your friends how great liberty is. You actually got to show them. You actually got to show other people and show yourself. Because I think showing yourself and bringing more freedom to yourself, what could possibly be more satisfying than that? Yeah, 100%. And, and you're right. I didn't think about it either when I first started. And um, this has been an evolution for me. But again, when talking more specifically about the principles, my principles have never changed. Uh, they've always remained consistent. And I'm just glad that now I can apply, I can help people apply them in a way that's going to benefit their lives. All right, Jason, well, I hope we have inspired a few people today to at least, what I'm always trying to do here is help, help people shift their mindsets, whether it's just the way they look at politics, whether it's the way they look at philosophy, or whether it's the way they look at what they're doing in their lives and how they can make changes in their own lives. So uh, this is just another iteration of that, of how people can start to think about things in a different way. Uh, so if people are interested in finding out about this book, obviously they can go check out Wealth, Power, and Influence three days a week, but uh, let people know how they can, I think they can sign up to get a, a copy right when it's released. Is that right? Yeah. So what I did was the book is in uh, is in production now. Now we're finishing the the edits on it, and then it'll be available for sale on Amazon. Uh, but what I've done is, is anybody who's interested, um, this is we will also have digital versions available on Amazon for Kindle and stuff like that. But if you go to nomadicwealth.com and you just sign up right there, as soon as the book is done, I will send you. I'll email you a digital copy for free. Uh, I, I really the the when we price the book, I'm going to price the book as cheap as I possibly can to get it in as many hands as I. So whatever my cost is to produce the book, that's what I'm going to sell it for. So I, I'm not making any money on the book, um, but there is a cost associated with doing that. And so um, if you want a free digital copy, all you got to do is go to nomadicwealth.com, and the second the book is ready for release, I will email it to you. You guys can be the first ones who get it, and and I would love for each and every one of you to read it. It's going to be it's not a long book. It's about 100, 120 pages, somewhere in there, depending on the font size we use. And so um, it'll be a quick read for you guys. And I know it's going to give your listeners just um, a, a, at least something to chew on, if not be a, a tipping point for them in, in their move towards really manifesting these ideas in their own lives. All right, kitty cats, you heard it here first. Check out, well, probably not first. You probably heard it on uh, Wealth, Power, and Influence first. But if you haven't, you heard it here second. Uh, do, please do check out Nomadic Wealth and check out, of course, Wealth, Power, and Influence uh, three days a week with Jason Stapleton, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jason, it's been a blast. Uh, I will see you around probably over a beverage or two one of these days here. But until then, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you, brother. All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Stapleton. And I do believe that if we can find more wealth, create more freedom in our own lives. And wealth is not just money, as, as we mentioned. Wealth is time. Wealth is the ability to enjoy your life. That's how I would really define wealth. And if we can have more of that in our own lives, then we're going to be in that much better of a position to influence others along the way. So that is definitely, I wouldn't say it's a shift in the, the focus of what I'm trying to do, but it's something I'm trying to integrate a lot more into the show. So I hope you guys are enjoying this sort of conversation. Of course, you can always send feedback. You can shoot me an email, mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. You can tweet to us at lionsofliberty. You can also come and participate in our forum on Facebook, the Lions of Liberty Forum, our public Facebook group. We do have a little question just to get you in there and make sure that you're not a, a spam bot from Nigeria. But uh, Jason mentioned his group becoming a bit of a cesspool. We are very, very proud of the fact that the Lions of Liberty Forum has grown and grown into a place of great conversation. I rarely, rarely, I think over the last five years or however long it's been since we've, since we've had that Facebook group, I've maybe banned two people from the group. And that's incredible. That's really saying a lot. Uh, and there's always respectful conversation 
conversation. There are people in there that are not necessarily libertarians, people in there just looking for conversation. Uh, if that is you, if you want to learn more, just type in Lions of Liberty over in your search bar, or if you're a longtime fan and want to discuss these ideas further, Lions of Liberty Forum, type that in your search bar on Facebook. Come on in, prove that you are not a Nigerian prince scam artist, and we will uh, welcome you into the conversation. Of course, you can get into our private Facebook group, our super secret pride group, by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you get all sorts of perks, including a ton of bonus audio content. We do some bonus pre-shows, bonus post-shows from time to time. Uh, We have extra segments with guests taking questions from the Pride. We have the Conspiracy Corner, our monthly roundtable looking at various conspiracies uh, at the Nittany level, $50 a month. You get to actually produce one of these shows. You'll be hearing us review a movie called Zardoz, starring Sean Connery a little later this month. That is at the request of one of our Nittany level Pride members. So there's so many perks over at Lions of Liberty. One of the greatest ones that we have, though, I feel, is the show that we recorded this weekend, this Pride-only show where we played a secret drinking game. We got in the entire Lions of Liberty crew, all six of us, myself, Brian, the host of Electric Liberty Land, Odie, the host of Felony Friday, along with our other reoccurring cast members, the godfather, Howie Snowden, our personal lawyer, Rico, and of course, the doctor of science himself, J.B. Lubin. And that was moderated by our sober moderator, Chris Spangle, who is keeping track of a number of secret drinking rules that members of the Lions of Liberty Pride came up with. Uh, we did not know what these rules were going to be beforehand. We didn't know what they were until they happened during the course of the show, which of course prompts us to drink. So it was a really fun drinking game uh, where the rules were a mystery to us. This is one of the most fun shows we have done, so I highly recommend hopping on that Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty to check that out. And if that isn't enough, 10% of our Patreon earnings are going to support our friends at DonorSea and their efforts to help people affected in the third world specifically by economic lockdowns as a result of all the restrictions put in place by governments around the world due to coronavirus. So please do consider donating either directly to DonorSea at DonorSea.com slash coronavirus where you can see all of those projects or just know that by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride at Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty you are going to be contributing to that cause monthly as well. Uh, that is all my friends don't forget to tune in to brian on electric liberty land this coming wednesday and of course john odie odermatt will be wrapping things up with his hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on felony friday and until next week my friends live long and live free